welcome to the week after the Edinburgh Fringe. Yes, good afternoon, good morning, good evening. And to quote a great man, it is the afternoon after the morning, after the night before, with a week later, after the month that was the month of the prep that we were doing before the month where we meet the bank manager. I'll choose statements that only I understand for 200, please, Alex. Except it's not Alex anymore, it's Ken, yes, we know. Yes, Dean Bob, happy you and Spence here. The Edward Fringe podcast, as always, thanks to our Texas rock and roll kilted bagpipers, Needfire. For, yes, use of that theme tune is now 18 years old. Thanks, guys, very much. Welcome, links back to them on the website. Yes, it is the week after the Fringe, kind of, depending on when the Fringe starts or ends. It's a chance for many people to look back. It's also a chance for many people to sleep rather a lot because the Fringe is long and exhausting and every year is very slightly different. Two years ago, Finn Ross Russell was just a puncher buying tickets. Last year, he decided to co-host a podcast, The Mad Fool. This year, successful producer... Hello, Finn Ross. Uh, This is too much energy for this early in September. (laughs) Oh, it's not that bad. Finn Ross Russell, uh, back on the podcast again, co-host from last year. Uh, This year, heading into doing the production, doing the Fringe. So getting another angle. And and presumably the first time you've seen that angle over an entire run. Well, I think what's really fascinating is that this year was my fifth Edinburgh Fringe working in some guys or another and you think that would make you experience having done the fringe that many times, even though it's different roles, when in reality, having a different hat on, it makes you see the fringe in a completely different way. There are so many things that you don't notice when you are flyering or you don't notice as a journalist that suddenly as a producer, you need to be aware of and you need to be on top of. And you're realizing, actually, the fringe doesn't start in August, it starts in may and then you get very surprised by all the things you actually need to do way ahead of anyone actually turning up in edinburgh go on then what's the one thing that caught you out in may um pr honestly the the pr game was something that we were totally behind with this year in terms of realizing it needs to get organized i mean i said may just there reasonably it's kind of march april really and that's even the late end of when these things get organizing i met so many prs this year who told me that they tend to start opening the bookings for artists they work with in december so that's kind of december january kind of time that they're that they're getting their acts together if you're kind of as i said that march april kind of time you're really at the kind of late end of that bracket and you're probably even going to get some prs saying nope sorry we're booked up for this year come back next year and it's one of those things where, you know, some people joke, oh, Edinburgh Fringe is a, a year-round cycle. But when you see how people work like this in order to make this festival happen, you really appreciate the extent to which that's so true. Give us a little bit of focus. Tell us about the show that you put on this year. 
So this year I worked on a show that, funnily enough, was on um, the interview selection for last year, which is a show called The Collie Shed. Um, it was written by an East Lothian writer named Shelley Midler. Um, it is about the effects of the miners' strikes on a community in East Lothian. Um, and basically the, the sort of backstory is that as a punter, um, I came and saw the show last year, thought it was absolutely fantastic. I know Shelley well. We've operated in the same kind of artist circles here in Edinburgh. And all of a sudden I'm seeing this show actually on stage, not just reading her script, but actually seeing it in its full Edinburgh Fringe glory. And I think this should not be happening in a hotel conference room, which was where it was last year. It was at the Space North Bridge when the Space North Bridge was at the Hilton rather than this year, where I think it was the Radisson or something like that. But anyway, um, the point being that I knew this needed to be in front of more people. This needed to be in a bigger venue. And with my producer hat on, I said, let's work together. Let's see what we can do to kind of boost the, the energy and the profile of this. And we went in a load of different directions. We had a load of different discussions. And where we eventually came back to was that what she had missed last year was getting in touch with a lot of the industry professionals and venues to be able to use her fringe run as an immediate launch pad to then go and bring her show on tour to various venues around Scotland. So we then realized actually it made sense to go back to Fringe. And because I was on board and I had various contacts and people I know from having done Fringe the four times before that I'd done it, it meant that I could make use of my contacts, start sending some emails and go, right, we've got this show. It had a near sold out run last year at the space. What can we do with it this year? And amazingly, all of the the four main Edfest producers, so Pleasant, Underbelly, Assembly, Gilda Balloon, got back to us. And we had some fantastic conversations with everybody about the space and the offer and how it would work. And it was great for me as a producer because I could bring that all back to Shelley, the artist, and say, right, what would you like? And then the back and forth began. It was like, oh, no, actually, we need a backstage. Or no, actually, this isn't enough seats. Or how good the location is. Um, and then eventually we we landed on an offer with Gilded Balloon that just suited everybody perfectly. And from there, we took the leap of faith and said, okay, we're going to work with you to make this happen. Let's see how this goes. And as it turned out, it it went quite well. So in terms of the producer stuff, obviously there's a lot of stuff there that you've done before August. But you've got the theatrical background as well as the business head. What is what is having another year from the show last showing at the Fringe to this year? How I mean, does the show improve a lot? Is it polished? Is it just situational because it's in a different space? How does how does the same show evolve into another year at the Fringe? I think the first thing to say is that most people, when they do Edinburgh Fringe the first time as artists, they don't really know what they're doing, and that's kind of fair because. It's so wild and crazy when you zoom out and actually think about what the Edinburgh Fringe is. I mean, thousands and thousands of people turning up in this small British city to sit around in various darkened rooms, largely university lecture halls and student union spaces, and just watch performance for a whole month. It's crazy when you zoom out and think about it. And because of that, there are so many tips and tricks as artists going into it, doing it on your own the first time, that you just don't clock and you realize quite late and you realize in September around this time, oh goodness, I really wish I'd done this. So I really wish I'd done this. So what Shelley having that knowledge from last year and me having a kind of fresh perspective allowed for 
was for me to come in with my general theatre producer hat on and go, this is what works, this is what doesn't work, these are the things you need to be careful of, these are the things that I totally trust you because you've got more knowledge on. And then combining that with bulking the script up a little bit, getting a dedicated tech person in to do the sound and lighting, which we didn't have last year, um, building the profile, doing things like sending emails to get reviewers in much, much earlier than happened last year, talking to the industry people about it from May, June, so that going into the summer, they knew it was coming, they knew it was happening. And so that when I was then following up saying, hey, when do you want to come see the show? They'd been given enough notice about it to go, okay, I'll come on this day. And then I could invite them in and we could make it happen. So it's all these tiny little things that, again, feed into that Edinburgh Fringe is a 12-month cycle business where, okay, technically you can just turn up with your show in August and do it. But if you really want to get the most out of the experience, there are so many things that you need to plan for and be careful of that you just can't practically do properly before you've done it before and you know all the mistakes to make so you know how to not make them the next time you do it. You've talked a lot about there about the run-up and the mechanisms, but at the end of the day, this business is all about getting bums on seats. How did you manage that? I'm assuming you managed that. I'm assuming it was just oh. like you sitting in the middle of the auditorium going, it's it's just me and Brian Ferguson from The Scotsman. I mean, what's incredible is that not only did we manage to get bums on seats, but we averaged over the run 70 people per show, which is remarkable. I mean, they pulled in great numbers last year when they, when they did the show there in a kind of 40-seater arena. We were in 140-seat space this year. So we already knew the odds of us selling that out are very unlikely unless something absolutely crazy happens. And yet by the final performance, we had all but five seats sold. Um, and to be honest, I would love to give you an answer to that question. I can't really explain how we got bums on seats, but if I were to try and unpack it, I'd say that it was a combination of a number of factors. It was the fact that we'd gotten in touch with um, the press early, early on. I'm talking like May, June kind of time to build and book in them coming to see the show and coming to get a review ticket so that we knew that we had press to be able to start bigging up the, the show. And that wasn't just during the Fringe itself in terms of a formal review for the show. That was also features with uh, papers like the East Lothian Courier, where they could get the word out to a local audience very quickly about here's a show that you should be taking note of that's happening at this year's Fringe that's by a local writer on local themes and a local story. Um, it was the cast on their own initiative deciding we want to go out to the mile with a big uh, banner that said, let's kick out the Tories and start building a lot of, you know, attention and people noticing, oh, you are the people that, you know, don't like them. And that immediately got people talking about, so who are you? I believe at one point during the run, we even had police come up to us and say, are you holding a protest? And we're like, no, we're a fringe show, like everyone else on the Royal Mile. But again, these are the sorts of things that that build attention. Um, it was, you know, the advertising money that we gave to Out of Hand, the big fringe print providers, to get posters in strategic places so that for all the areas that we weren't initially covering, people would still be kind of, not plastered, but they'd be able to notice, oh, yeah, that show's on. I've seen that uh, somewhere. So. I'd like to be able to point to it being one thing, 
But to be honest, it's so many different things. And I haven't even mentioned the work that Gilded Balloon did within that, the work that Word of Mouth did in terms of getting the the news out about what was going on, industry people coming in and telling people they know, oh, by the way, you should come see it. It's all of these different things. And it's kind of the magical thing and also the terrible thing about trying to produce the show at the fringe. There's just no right answer. There's no obvious way that says, yes, you will definitely get bums on seats if you do this and then somehow you manage to get Phoebe Waller-Bridge to come to your show which I'm I'm sure we'll talk about in the context of this year but um at yeah, least you noticed cause... at least you noticed <laughs> she was on the podcast in 2012 about a one-woman show called Fleabag and I didn't remember that till about 12 months ago <laughs> uh, but this is the thing you, you find lots of little hidden gems lots of small stories at the fringe and for every small story that becomes a flea bag there are other stories that become oh i, I you know i'm not going to mention any of the, the theater shows the small and delightful ones that i remember because there are so many of them and yep a handful of them picked up by the media make into really big things but so many of them in that sort of middle tranche of they find their own success they get noticed in the industry they go on to a runs and i get the feeling that the Collie Shed may well have established itself in that big, we've had a solid run at the fringe tier. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big things I learned this year in terms of producing fringe and about fringe in general is that every aspect of it is so political. You know, it's not like you can go to one venue provider or one given name and go, you will get a guaranteed fantastic quality show if you go and see all the shows at Summerhall or all the shows at Assembly or all the shows at Gilded. Um, or even if you go, you know, I only want to see this one type of show. You need to kind of go off the beaten track and you need to explore a little bit in order to find not just those hidden gem little stories, but also to, to find the quality. Because often the quality can be at Greenside, Infirmary Street at 2 p.m. or the space... Uh, by the mile at 8 p.m. And you've got to kind of look out for not only what am I interested, but also what's around at all of the various venues in order to be able to pick up on what you like. Because unless you do that, in terms of what gets noticed, you are always going to be at the mercy of those politics, at the mercy of who are the national papers talking about, what is Phoebe Waller-Bridge going to see, um, what is on... Uh, the various pick of the fringe shows. Um, what is this blogger or this reviewer giving five stars to? And those are all great. And I'm not knocking any of those methods for finding your way of seeing shows. But the thing is, art is subjective. And because art is subjective, that means your opinion is going to be different from my opinion. It's going to do different from Joe Blog's opinion. It's going to be different from Phoebe Waller-Bridge's opinion. So there's no kind of right way to make sure that you're getting to see high quality shows unless you're able to judge for yourself this is what i like the look of and then take the chance on this may not be that good but i'm gonna try it anyway and see that said what did you get out of the fringe i mean so many magical experiences that i just could never have predicted that I'd have to be able to sit in the final performance in again, a three sided 140 seat venue and have it mostly sold out 
with a show that I read the first draft of, with a writer that I see every fortnight on the same writers group, with a cast and crew entirely consisting of brilliant emerging Scotland-based artistic talent, and for us to have got the numbers out and built the excitement and built the press and built the industry buzz, and to be in an incredibly strong position to be able to go to venues here like Capitol Theatres, like the Tron, like the Brunson in East Lothian and go program this show the other 11 months of the year. Because we've demonstrated during Fringe, we can attract this kind of attention and numbers. And that is the really magical thing about Fringe is when the lightning does strike and when the magic flows and comes together and it hits you, it can change lives. There's honestly nothing quite like the, the memories that I've been able to build as a producer, but also, and perhaps more importantly, the opportunities that I'm going to be able to offer to the artists that I'm working with, both on this show and in future shows moving forward, as a result of the fact that Island Life Productions can now call itself a show that has had a successful fringe run. And you not only can you not put a price on that, but you can't replicate that either. So what happens next for yourself and your your house, the Island Life Productions? Are you already well, planning the next Fringe? Uh, kind of. I mean, the thing is, we're still kind of working on this one. Like, as I as I was telling a lot of the artistic team that, that I was working with, most of my work as a producer during Fringe is in the months leading up to Fringe, which I've already discussed, and the period immediately after Fringe, where I go through the photos and the videos and the audience reviews and the press statements and all of these different things and start, as I said, making the case to venues on you should program this. Because ultimately, when everyone goes to Fringe, what a lot of them say is, well, I want a life for this show beyond the festival. And that's fantastic. But again, that's not the kind of thing you can just stand up and say, I want this. There's so much work that goes into making that happen in terms, as I said, getting in touch with the people before, specifically targeting who you want to program with so you know who that you're targeting in your emails for coming to see your show. And then making sure you're getting the right balance of knowing who to email and when to email them and what to send through and getting the tour pack in a position where it's very detailed and gives them all the information they need to make a very quick yes, no decision to, you know, again, maintain the politics and relations of, I'm not going to just email you and email you about this until, you know, that relationship is completely severed, but managing those expectations a little, a little bit and, you know, managing those diplomatic efforts. So I don't know how long that's going to go for. I'd like to hope because there's a touring fund that Creative Scotland have just put out that is going to be fairly soon. Um, you know, September 19th, that deadline is there for. I'd like us to make it. So, you know, venues, if you are listening to this and would like to program the college shed, please get in touch, finlandlifeproductions.com, because, you know, we all kind of need to get a move on with this. But even if it doesn't happen by that deadline, there is so much potential of what this show can do. And having demonstrated that at this year's Edinburgh Fringe, I refuse to say this is the end because it's clear that there's so much interest in this show and we need to take advantage of this momentum to allow more people to go and see it. So if that takes a month, great. If that takes two months, great. If that takes three months, fine. It'll go for as long as it needs to for me to literally uncover every stone to make sure people know this did well at the Fringe. You want this in your venue. 
And for those people who do want it in their venue, where can they find out more? They can go to the Island Life Productions website, islandlifeproductions.com. They can head to our work and under the our work section, they can find the Collie Shed. And that has um, all of the information on all the performers, uh, the blurb on the show, the poster image. And if you then scroll over to the uh, contact us section, you can find my email, which again is finn at islandlifeproductions.com. There we go. So um, I'm not getting you back as a co-host, am I? I need to find somebody else. I don't know, because th- that's the thing with Fringe, right? Like, I'm, I'm putting on a lot of different hats, and I never know what August is going to bring. You might well get me back, because I might be twiddling my thumbs with nothing to do next August. You never can predict these things. It's the magic and also the terror of the beast. The terror of the be- Oh, that's a good name for a song. I mean, it's very close to another song. Ah, the mind is spinning. It bounces around with many ideas. That is the Fringe. It just... It's just this wonderful smorgasbord of everything and you have to decide what you like and it happens every single year. And yes, there are lots of complaints about budgets, about accommodations, about every single possible thing under the sun. But at the end of the day, it's it it's art and it's not just art for art's sake, it's arts for living, it's arts for growth, it's arts for humanity. It's just about tapping into the human spirit. Absolutely. And I think those discussions are very right that we should be having. And I think people should be having those discussions because ultimately, if we want to keep this festival going, particularly from a theatre perspective, theatre means people and people need a place to stay and things to eat and not to lose all their money doing a festival like this. And so between the fringe and the venues and the performers and the accommodation hosts, Somebody needs to stand up and take responsibility for how we make this festival more accessible and how some of the more well-known established performers use their knowledge to help those that are just coming through and do it for the first time. That's one of the things that I really want to offer myself up for for the next year is saying, look, I've done the Fringe. There's a lot that I learned about it. There's a whole lot I don't know. But if you are coming and wanting to bring a show to Fringe next year, please get in touch with me because I'd love nothing more than to impart, you know, this wisdom that I've developed and my knowledge as an Edinburgh resident in order to make things easier for you to come through and bring your show. Because ultimately, if we don't do that, we're going to get to a position where it's an un- it's an unaffordable, inaccessible festival. And, you know, particularly given the large number of people from within London who are coming to take part in it, at some point, they're just going to go, well, I'd rather stay close to the home and go to Brighton or go to Camden. And that's great for those festivals, but it's going to be to the detriment of this beautiful thing that we've all cultivated together up here. And we cultivate it every year on the podcast. I've just committed myself to doing it next year, but I hate that it happens. EmmerFringe.thepodcastcar.com. Contact details for Finross Island Life Productions in there. Of course, all the interviews that we've done are still back there, available to listen to again and again and again and again. And that includes going back and listening to the Collie Shed one last year just to find out if Finn was saying the exact same things last year as he is saying this year. We will go into the archive over the next couple of months as well on the podcast, so do keep an eye on the feed, the website, wherever you get your podcasts from or Spotify. And the Fringe is all year round, even though it's only for August. So we'll be here all year round as well. For myself, Ewan Spence. And for me, Finn Ross Russell. Ta-ra for now. 
You've been listening to the Edinburgh Fringe Show, hosted by Ewan Spence, produced by The Podcast Corner. Listen to more from The Fringe at edinburghfringe.thepodcastcorner.com. Yeah.